Good evening to you all. I would say welcome to Redemption Arcadia's Kingdom Companion Study, but you all have been here for the past two weeks and I have not. Uh, I, I can tell a group that has already started to bond together. You guys are talking around your tables and you know exactly where to go for the food. It, it worked out really well. Um, my name is Tyler Thompson. I've met, I think, almost all of you. Um, I'm the pastor of Communities and Worship here at Redemption Arcadia. And we actually, uh, we were on family vacation these last two Sundays. And so we missed being with you for the start of this uh, weekly Wednesdays at Arcadia event. Um, I have the privilege of being able to lead this evening uh, tonight and then also uh, next Wednesday night. And uh, I love this format that we have chosen uh, to do this summer, uh, where there is some, some background information up front, uh, some uh, foundational information, and then there's discussion around the table for what you've learned in the scripture. Um, they've done multiple kinds of studies that say that lecture is actually the worst possible way to learn something. And so I appreciate this kind of a model that is more discussional and relational in nature. Uh, when I was at Biola University, I uh, was a part of a program there, their honors college. It was called the Tory Honors College. And it was built on something that was very similar to this, uh, where there would be some background information given by a, a tutor, what they called a tutor. And then there would be discussion around a table of, over great texts. Um, because you can learn a lot from, from that kind of a discussion. We oftentimes uh, run our small groups that way as well here at Redemption Arcadia. And uh, if you're not a part of a, a small group, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Please let me know. Uh, we'd love to get you connected. You can also talk with James Lux. James would be glad to help you get connected as well with, with a small group. Uh, if you're not one in the regular year-round schedule, we'd love to get you plugged in for that. Beyond the format of these evenings, I also really love this content. Uh, the, it's just, it's juicy. Like this, this text in the Old Testament, and especially in First and Second Samuel, and in First and Second Kings, and uh, at the very end of this study on uh, July 27th and August 3rd, we'll also go through First and Second Chronicles, and so. If you hang out with us for that long, you'll, you'll get to also go through First and Second Chronicles. It's just rich with God's um, sovereign grace and God's love for humanity, though we continue to make a mess of it. Uh, God, God shows up time and time again to find um, a way to reach us, though we keep walking away from him. And so uh, take this passage, for example, this chunk of scripture that we're looking at today. And how many of you have been, have been looking through this kingdom's book? Yeah. You like it? Do you like it? Yeah. It's an interesting take on it, isn't it? It's a, you wish it had chapter numbers. You wish it had chapter numbers, yeah. Yeah. So you can... That's right, you can find them, but it's intentionally left out so that it's more of a story narrative that you're reading. Uh, this chunk of scripture, it starts with the rape of Tamar, and it ends with Solomon having to decide which mother is the real mother of a baby, and him suggesting to cut the baby in half. That is some serious content. 
And there's all kinds of stuff all the way through the middle of it that is as exciting or dangerous or troubling as that is. And yet people say all the time that what does this, what does this book of ancient Hebrew poetry have to say to our lives today? And yet we find that these, these issues, especially in this chunk of scripture, speak so clearly to what we're all talking about right now as, as humanity. Issues of uh, our own autonomy, our own personal autonomy, issues of justice, issues of choice, issues of, of right and wrong, issues of, of God's wisdom, issues of God's love for humanity. And so this book speaks as clearly today as it did the day it was written through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my hope is that tonight we'll be able to hear what God is saying to us through these stories that we read. Uh, before we get into this text in particular, just a couple of notes of things that are coming up. This Sunday we're starting a 22-week series called We Want a King. And we'll have a preaching series starting this Sunday that will go through the life of Saul. It'll go through the life of David and it'll go through the life of Solomon. And uh, our hope in this is that we are able to see how oftentimes our hope gets placed in places that it shouldn't be placed in. Specifically in uh, some will trust in horses and some will trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. That we oftentimes will put our trust in the things of this world and that it'll fail us every single time. Such was the case not only for Saul and, uh, and, and his blunder of a kingship, but we also see through the lives of David and Solomon that what we need is the true king, Yahweh, in our lives. And so we're starting that this Sunday. Um, I, I get to uh, preach out of 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, and it's a fantastic uh, account of how the people demand this king of, of God. A couple of other notes that you might just check out. Uh, our reading for next week is uh, pages 184 to 210 in this book. 184 to 210. Uh, or that is uh, chapter 4 of king, uh, 1 Kings through chapter 16 of 1 Kings if you have one of these. Um, and if you need to read it in the Brick Bible, the Lego Bible, you can borrow this from me after Sunday because I need it for preaching at Kids Sunday this Sunday. Um, I, I promise I'll use the real Bible too on, on Sunday. One other thing just to note uh, before we jump into our, our passage for this week uh, is that these, uh, these studies and what you're doing around the table is, is not just building up your mental capacities. And maybe you've already uh, observed this over the past few weeks, but uh, how many of you are sitting at the same table that you sat at the first two weeks? How many of you are sitting with the same people you sat at the first two weeks? So how many of you are meeting new people every week? Yeah, that's awesome. That's part of our hope, is that you would be able to build relationships with the, with the body of Christ that not only are we growing in our mental faculties, but that we're growing spiritually, we're growing relationally, uh, that we're, we're growing in such a way that, that God has designed us to grow. At the end of uh, Luke chapter 2, and Luke chapter 2.52, it says that, uh, that Jesus grew in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor with God, and in favor with men. Uh, so 
so he grew uh, spiritually, he grew physically, he grew, he grew uh, emotionally, he grew relationally. These are all things that, uh, that we want to do as well in these evenings. So my hope is that you're building relationships with each other as well and not just building up your mental faculty about what's going on here. Now, the last couple of weeks, how have they been? What has been most uh, impactful for you these last couple of weeks? What jumps out at you is something that you just really appreciated taking away. I mean, it's a long time ago, I know. <laughs> I had some crazy thoughts about Samuel Ghost. Crazy thoughts about Samuel Ghost. Yeah. The ghost of Samuel. Yeah, yeah. There's stuff in this scripture that uh, we oftentimes don't talk about that you think, wait a minute, that's in there? I had one of I had one of those as well uh, in this section. Maybe we'll get to later on. What else? What else jumped out at you? Yeah. Mm. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and caused David to. No, it says he caused David. He caused David. see that at least one or two other times in the section for today uh, that David grieves the death of even oftentimes those who are pursuing his life or overthrowing his kingdom. Shows his value for, for life. Well, wonderful. Um, any, any last, I don't want to cut anybody off, any last things that jumped out at you so far? about God's justice and, and the times that God's justice is administered and the times that God's justice is deferred or delayed. 
Because there are times in this passage that, that we're reading tonight, uh, that we've read over the past week or so, where God's justice is administered on the spot. And there are other times where God's justice gets delayed or deferred, and some people think that God's justice will never come. And I don't know about you, but as I read that, it strikes me that there's oftentimes today that we're wondering the same thing. When will God's justice come? And we wonder that oftentimes, uh, as Pastor Frank likes to tell us, that we want God's justice for you, but not for me. We want God's justice for everybody else, but we want God's grace for us. And we see in this uh, passage, in this chunk of scripture today that you'll discuss around your tables, that there is a wisdom of God that gets employed to know exactly the right time for his justice to be administered. And so we say, how long, O Lord? But we know that one day his justice will be administered wholly and completely. We also know that Christ came as, as a way to administer God's wrath. God's wrath was administered. God's justice with it was administered and received through Christ. That Christ took on the wrath that was ours. And so at precisely the right time, at precisely the right occasion, through the precisely the right person, God's wrath and justice was executed for the sake of the world. Now, Frank told me, if I got that part wrong, that you all would never understand the scripture. So I, I hope I said the right thing. I'll just look at his quote one more time, because I told him I was going to quote him. Here we go. I'll say it again, and, it, and, you, can, and you can write it down if you want to. He said this. Oh, wait, this is not the part. But he said this. If you do not handle that well, they will not understand the whole rest of the Bible. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> but what we find in this passage is that God's wisdom matched with God's justice through God's instrument happens at exactly the right time. Exactly the right time. It's like if you ever watched Lord of the Rings and Gandalf says, a wizard arrives precisely when he means to. This is the justice of God arrives and is administered exactly through the right instrument at the right time and in the right place. And it takes God's wisdom to know when justice is to be administered and when God's justice is to be deferred or to be delayed. Something else that you might just uh, uh, consider here. While people uh, bemoan the Bible as something that is just ancient history, we find in these stories and we find in this narrative people that are oftentimes reflections of us. That we find in these characters uh, personality traits, uh, strong suits, weaknesses that are similar to us. And as I'm reading through it, I think to myself when I get to near the end of David's life, and I think that his, uh, th there are people who are trying to usurp the throne and saying, I'm going to make myself king. I think to myself how often I want to make myself king of this world. I think how often I want to make myself the one who is getting ill-gotten gain for my own sake rather than following God's wisdom in my life. And so we look at the, the whole uh, narrative that we have in our passage this morning, or t this evening, 
I feel like it's a Sunday morning, but uh, 2 Samuel 13, as we start this section, there is a horrific story of the rape of Tamar. That Tamar is, is, is victim of a progression that is horrific. If you, if you follow the story, there is lust, there is rape, there is isolation, there is cover-up, and there is sending away. And there's a progression that happens here that makes the people think, and us as readers as we read it, where is God's justice? And who can provide it? And as you notice, King David is furious, a lot of anger, but what does he do? Nothing. Nothing. This is not the first time that we've seen a character flaw in David. He's furious, but is so passive and so conflicted that he doesn't do anything in response. And so we have people today that read this and think, well, where then is God? And I understand their question because we don't see immediate justice when we want it. But remember, God's justice is administered at exactly the right time and the right place through the right person. And so when we ask for God's justice, we have to be understanding that in his wisdom, he knows when the timing is that that would take place. In the case of Tamar, we find justice deferred, justice delayed. Now, certainly, the one who uh, was the perpetrator of this crime got what was coming to him later in the book. But that was an ugly situation, too. And so we need to, to think about God's wisdom as we reflect on these situations. Uh, Pastor J. Alfred Smith, Sr., says this, Who will pray with Tamar and stand by her side as she screams for justice? Do you remember that Tamar is your, your daughter, your granddaughter, your sister, your niece, blood of your blood and bone of your bone? In other words, Pastor Smith is saying that in reading the story of Tamar, we have an opportunity to come alongside and pray for God's justice and protection for those around us that we would seek for God to protect. Allison McKinney Tim says this, Tamar's story is rightly sacred. It speaks to, to a truth that we are reluctant to hear. May our response to it and to every Tamar we meet be holy and just. The link between these two commentators on this passage is that they are dealing with real people that you come into contact with all the time who are in need of God's wisdom and God's justice. And so we look around us and we say, who is the Tamar in our lives? And maybe it is you. And if that's you, we need the, the church community to come around you in this time. If that's not you, there's an opportunity for us to relay God's wisdom and God's justice to those that have, been, had, have had violence perpetrated against them. A second thing that you might uh, pick up here in the process is that though David's passivity uh, takes place, ultimately, this crime does not go unpunished. In fact, David's 
passivity is part of what leads to Absalom's violence later. If you recall in the story, Absalom comes to take it into his own hands. And what we find here is that if we abdicate our responsibility to respond with God's wisdom and with God's justice, if we abdicate our responsibility to respond as people of God with wisdom and with God's justice, that there will be those who will attempt to take things into their own hands. And that might be us, that might be those around us. How many of you in this room are people who are take it into your own hands kind of people? <laughs> a couple, a couple, yeah. How many of you are, well, it'll all get worked out in, some, in the end anyway kind of people? Yeah, yeah. So we see ourselves in these stories where there are some of us, and maybe there, there, are, there, are, there are less of us on this side, that are, we'll take it into our own hands. And there are others on, that are saying, somebody will work this out, but it probably won't be me. There's two extremes to that story, but as it is often the case with many of these things in Scripture, there's a, there's a third way. There's a place in the middle here where we use God's wisdom to apply God's justice in a situation. It's tricky, it's messy, and we have to rely on God in order to be able to do this appropriately. <coughs> and so, like the apostles said in, in the book of Acts, it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit. We find ourselves as people who rely on the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the community of God in order to administer God's wisdom and justice in an appropriate way. Now I'm going to move, move, along, move along real quickly here because I'm just about at the end of my time. Um, Frank wanted you to know that his singing is God's justice deferred. <laughs> <laughs> So we can thank God for that. Um, after this, we have all sorts of things that are a revolt from Absalom. Uh, we have Absalom killing Amnon uh, for the rape of Tamar. Uh, we have a cover-up where Absalom uh, had, had said previously to that, uh, don't, uh, to Tamar, don't say anything, he's your brother. Uh, we have a conspiracy where uh, Absalom betrays his father, a father betrayed by a son. That's another one of these relational situations that is just ugly that we go through. Um, uh, it's amazing as a pastor to hear how many times these kinds of things are not relegated to the scripture, but happen in our daily and weekly and monthly and yearly lives. Uh, we have Absalom uh, hanging in a tree by his hair, which is one of the craziest uh, things in the Bible as well. Uh, we have David being grieved multiple times over deaths. We have David pardoning his enemies um, in 2 Samuel 19, that David actually shows forbearance to his enemies and see an enemies, no, enemies, and he forgives his, his enemies. Uh, we have in uh, 2 Samuel 23, uh, David's last words, um, just previously to that in the previous chapter, we have his, his last song. Uh, we have David's mighty men showing up. Many translations call that David's uh, men of valor. Um, that's our son's middle name. His middle name is Valor because we really liked uh, what we saw in, in multiple places here in, the, in Judges and Joshua and, and, and these Samuel and, and King's uh, records that, that David gathered around him mighty men of valor that would help him utilize God's wisdom and, God's, and execute, execute God's justice. 
We have in 2 Samuel 24 a census. Uh, we have David confessing. Uh, we have a, a judgment of David's sin at the end of his life that God uh, gives judgment to David. Uh, that even David, who was a man after God's own heart, uh, was given judgment. A lot of people get thrown off at the end of 2 Samuel because, uh, it's, if you notice, it's not chronological. Anybody notice that? It doesn't quite go in order. And uh, so there's a few things, just two things to talk about there real quickly. 2 Samuel 21, 22, 23, and 24 are what's called a chiasm. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, there's a, there's a chiasm or a chiastic structure where the first comment echoes the last comment, and then the second comment echoes the second to last comment, and so on and so forth. The last four chapters of 2 Samuel are that way, where 2 Samuel 21, we see disobedience and discipline, and that's also mirrored in 2 Samuel 24. Uh, we see there's danger and deliverance in 2 Samuel, the end of 21 and the, the beginning of, of 23, or the end of 23. And then we see dependence and devotion in 2 Samuel 22 and that middle section. What that means is Hebrew poets wanted you to work your way into the middle where that was the most important thing being communicated. What's communicated at the end of the book of 2 Samuel is that David had a dependence and a devotion to God through his ups and downs of his kingdom, through his successes and his failures, he had a devotion and a dependence on Yahweh. And getting into, into the first few chapters of, uh, of 1 Kings, we have David in old age. Uh, we have the, uh, the attempt to set um, ourselves up as king. I'm fascinated by the role of Bathsheba in Solomon becoming king. I hadn't remembered this in the scripture before, having read back through this again. But in the first, in First Kings uh, chapter uh, one, Bathsheba comes to David and says, "Hey, you you vowed before the Lord that Solomon was going to sit on your throne." And so Bathsheba plays a, a part. Bathsheba, who years ago was was a, a, a part of King David's uh, failure, King David's sin. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, I'm not blaming her for that, but he, she, God allowed for this hap to happen with Bathsheba so that Solomon, out of this dark sin of David, Solomon would come forth and be a king for the kingdom as well. And then the, the passage ends uh, with, uh, the, in 1 Kings 2 with David giving instructions to Solomon. He's anointed as king. And then in 1 Kings 3, there's this beautiful passage that I just want to read for us before, we, before, we, before I wrap up and you go to your questions. 1 Kings 3. Right at the end. So if you know the, the situation, um, there, was a, there were two women who came and said, this baby is mine. Nobody could give a record of who the babies actually, actually belong to. Solomon says, we'll cut the baby in half. The, the real mom comes forward and says, don't cut the baby in half. She can, have, she can have her. And in that moment, everybody in the community understands what Solomon has done. And it's revealed that the real mom is the one who would not allow that baby to be killed. And at the end of 1 Kings chapter 3, 
in verse 28, it says this. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. That God in his timing uses his wisdom through the right individual to administer justice. And so no matter what we are going through in this life, in the injustice that we see around us, we know that God, in his wisdom, uses the exact person at the exact right time to administer justice when we need it. At this time, I'd like for us to transition to our discussion at our tables. And so I'll be facilitating for us as well uh, these four questions. Um, By the way, the second question here uh, in these four questions probably gets the most uh, action in this series, which is, was there anything confusing or troubling? Yes, a lot of this is troubling. And my hope is that you can talk with your table in a very real manner about these things, acknowledging God's wisdom and justice. So let's start with this first question around your tables. What stood out to you this week? We'll go about five minutes or so with that one, five or seven minutes. What stood out to you this week? And I'll help us move along. Now, don't everybody hog the conversation. Make sure everybody gets a talk if they'd like.